Now, one thing that's come up a bunch of times, people hate the bleeping. I know. People do we want to just it. do the explicit rating? Um, I guess we could. Who bleeps it? I do. You bleep. It. What do you mean? <laughs> Why didn't I didn't? What like? I oh, you mean like? Does Apple if, bleep yeah, it? Yeah, I don't like, know if like is Apple listening to every one of our episodes just to censor it? I would love that. <laughs> I mean, I put like, the work are, in. Or are we at the point where like technology can listen and be like, "That's a cuss word. I'm taking it out." Uh, like mm-hmm. like Andrew a voice recognition. Yeah, no, I do it. Okay, I had to like look up a, a tutorial for how to bleep things <laughs> in a podcast. Oh my gosh! I was watching no, a YouTube stop video. doing that. We <laughs> put so much work into this that yeah. we don't see. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. Yeah, let's just do the explicit yeah, rating. Give yourself, there was give a reason why you didn't do. want the explicit rating, and I'm not remembering it right now. It, because we're in the religion and spirituality section, I just wanted it to be more accessible to more people. And I was worried that the explicit tag would turn people off. You think that'll happen? It depends on who... Yes. I don't think a conservative is going to get past the first 10 minutes of an episode. You're probably anyway. right. You're probably yeah. right. Oh, okay, this is all great conversation. Let's talk about it in the episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> like, what I like... The spirit of incarceration dwells here. And then we're moving by the pack, so we moving them. Even if you don't, then you do because you're cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Welcome to Color Correction, a podcast about uh, race issues and Jesus issues. Um, I don't know if I like that definition this time. I just wanted to start by saying, like, fuck yeah. We're just going for it now. Uh-huh. <laughs> So today's episode is about whether we should keep the explicit tag on our pot or not have the exp- add an it's explicit the bleeping. tag. Yeah. So we've gotten a lot of compl- well, should I redo the intro? Welcome to Color Correction, a podcast, a Jesusy podcast about race. That's it. All right. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Color Correction, a Jesusy podcast about race. Um, this is all staying in. <laughs> <laughs> so. We have we had been getting some feedback about whether we want to keep bleeping stuff out, and um, I re- my original intention behind bleeping stuff out was to make it more accessible to mo- like more people, but uh, it is disruptive, and it does make things sound worse. And, yes, and also people know what you're saying when you're bleeped. Yeah. Like, it like, almost sounds worse though. Like I think people in one of the episodes, I was saying shit, and I I feel like the bleep feels so intense that yeah. every time people probably thought I was saying the f word. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like it yeah. just felt the mm-hmm. bleep is almost more offensive than the actual word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you guys can let us know what you prefer, but I think we're going for the explicit rating, and we're not going to bleep out our cuss words. Yeah. Yeah. We and we and we also follow Jesus. If that's weird for you, like that's okay. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, if that's weird for you, let you, us know. Let us yeah, know. also we let us know. Totally like, wanna, let us know yeah. your process, because that 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 realization for me, like that I could be a Christian and cuss, so was freeing. Kind, yeah, it was kind of a revelation to me. Yeah, and also it was a kind mm-hmm. of it was a kind of signifier of my transition from one way of thinking about how to be a Christian to a different way of thinking about how to be a Christian. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Before, I was all about, like, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? Mm-hmm. Whereas after, it was it was about what is the best way for me to love people and follow Jesus, mm-hmm. which is kind of what our podcast is about. Yeah. Like, getting people away from that binary thinking. 
I was just about to say that it feels like we put ourselves in so many different good, bad binaries in different parts of our lives. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really honor the fact that we live in a lot of gray on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, I know for me growing up with a certain kind of Christian belief, it was all about uh, avoiding the bad stuff. Yeah. So you can like avoid going to hell. That's a good question. Or that's a good like segue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> professional segue. Yeah, and I ruined it by acknowledging <laughs> it. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> uh, it's cool. So we wanted to address today the topic of hell and also how that intersects with the way that we think about justice and justice on earth and mm-hmm. eternal justice. Because we individually, we spend a lot of time thinking about justice. Justice work is, is something that our our faith community is known for and something that we're all really involved in on a really regular basis. Yeah. We spend a lot of time thinking about justice and also about hell because those things are overlapping. The idea of hell is that hell is a place where the unjust go to be punished. Mm-hmm. And in that idea are so many other ideas, like the idea that there is justice and injustice, like the idea that evil deserves to be punished. And of course, the traditional view of hell is, well, instead of going right into that, why don't I open it up this way? How did you guys grow up thinking about hell? The the image of hell I have is like the fire and the... One of the one of the ways I interfaced with hell as a kid was through chick tracks. Do you guys know about chick tracks? I do remember yes. chick tracks. Okay, I I think I remember good. the one you're going to talk about. I mean, vividly. Well, and I'm I'm not even sure there was just one. For those of you outside of that circle, chick tracks are these little comic book pamphlets. Um, a little reader on basic Christian tenets in an illustrated way to like lead you into Christianity often through the um, sort of path of someone who's messed up. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and these and the ultimate chicks were the ones that like took you to hell, which was this place where like people were being poked by demons and there's just like fire everywhere. It's a really lonely place. And it's always on like the back page. Like the way it was folded, it was always that back fold that had hell on it. Yeah. And those chick tracks start with like judgment this picture of this like robed entity oh, with yeah. a glowing never face, face right i remember those. um wow. that like in the illustrations as i remember them just points in a direction and that's where you're going <laughs> and then hell it is yeah so like there, like there's a judge there's a trial there's a there's a good place that you're not going there's a bad place where you are going that bad place is full of fire and demons Right, and you're there forever. And you're there forever. There's no getting back to that other, that other door. Yeah. But you're not going to die either. You're just going to exist in right. a state you're going of to suffer eternal, eternal suffering. Right, yeah. That was my hell grown up. Yeah, me too. I, I fixated on, on the eternal part of that. And I'm just remembering, now that you brought up the chick tracks, the Dungeons & Dragons chick track. There's a Dungeons & Dragons chick track? Yes, it was oh. about how you'll go to hell if you play Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, because the 80s, everybody. <laughs> you know, the satanic panic. Yes. Um, so that gave me a lot of anxiety as I was a kid growing up as an evangelical who also really enjoyed Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> oh. What a nightmare. I know. Um, I feel like it sounds like we're talking about like Christian propaganda. And I feel like Christian propaganda kind of um, influenced my view on hell as well. I remember watching this movie in... Um, kids church but one Sunday I guess we didn't have anybody to like preach for us and we watched this movie about 
like judgment day. And they would bring one person in at a time and each person had a different story of like what their life was like. So there might have been like a pastor that gave to the poor and he would talk to, I guess, is it supposed to be Peter at like the gates or something? Traditionally, it's Peter, right? Um, And Peter would like... I think point two and the person would be let in and beautiful music would play. And then if it was somebody that wasn't getting into heaven, the um, screen would go dark, lightning would strike. And these demons that were just regular people, at least they didn't look like super grotesque or anything would grab the person and drag them off. Mind you, I'm like nine would drag them off as the person like screamed and pleaded for their life. And in my head at a nine year, as a nine year old, I was like, I gotta do whatever I gotta do so these weird <laughs> people don't drag me off and I'm screaming. And then there I remember there was one scenario where it was a family and some people got dragged off and some people in the family went to heaven. Yo. And it it was, like, so terrifying. I was like, I want to go to heaven with my mom. Like, I don't want to get dragged off. I don't want to get separated. She's going to be sad. Like, I feel panic when I think about the hell that was depicted for me as a child. Super traumatizing. And, you know, like, nine is when I answered an altar call, like, this moment at the end of the sermon where the pastor says, if you want to be a Christian, you come up. And my mom prayed with me. I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. And, like, certainly... A huge ingredient of that for me was not wanting to go mm-hmm. to that bad place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was probably largest in my reasons for like becoming a Christian on that day. I count that as the start of my Christian journey, fueled by those feelings of fear and punishment. It's definitely one of the ingredients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't feel that anymore, but that was in there for me as a kid. And of course, the way that hell functioned in that belief system is that you go there if you don't have faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel about that now? I don't know. I definitely don't believe in the hell that I grew up believing in because it just does not sound in line with the God that I know now, like this super punitive and distant God. That doesn't mesh well with the God that I know now. Um, I honestly, the way I think of hell now, I think it's a concept that has been structured within the framework of humanity and humanity's ideas of punitive justice, Mm -hmm. of like punishment. But I think that God thinks much deeper and much more profound than what we can visualize. So now I kind of think hell just would have to be eternal separation from God. And maybe people that don't believe in God or don't believe in Jesus, maybe they just die. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's no torture. I don't think there needs to be torture. What is that called? Annihilationism? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the torture part is the is in the eternal nature of the torture. Right. Because it really is the torture that's like the standout for me too. Whether you do it like for a day and then the person repents or whether it's like over an infinite number of minutes, days, hours, mm-hmm. it's torture. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that particular character is not aligned with Jesus. Mm-mm. Tell me more about that. Well, like, what about that feels not aligned with Jesus to you? I guess it's just in so many ways the um, the links that God goes to to become Jesus, mm-hmm. which doesn't even start at the birth of Jesus. The, the story of God's relationship with humanity is vast, and it's also 
intricate in the in the way that he, God sets up a time and a place mm-hmm. to come in human form. Yeah. And the way he comes and the way he dies mm-hmm. as someone who is tortured mm-hmm. seems completely out of character. Right. That is interesting that both you and Bethany are talking about the idea of eternal conscious torment as being out of line with the character of God as you know God. What you said, Bethany, about how it's also not in line with the way that we think of justice from the the perspective of the humanities, the way that the society has come to decide what is just and not just. Mm-hmm. If you look at the way that we were raised and to think about hell, there is an attempt to explain why eternal conscious torment is just. And the idea is, well, we all deserve damnation because everyone has sinned. Mm-hmm. So we have violated some eternal cosmic law mm-hmm. that God offers you this way of being preserved from from that torment and that you have rejected that. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you are getting what you deserve. Mm-hmm. There's the language of justice yeah. there. But the truth is, and I agree with you guys here, I think of the character of, of God as being just and compassionate. Right. But also, the idea of eternal conscious torment does not seem just to me. Well, yeah. and, and also, it's like, if, if one of our attributes for God is merciful and powerful, then you're talking about a God who, like turns on hell say more about that like what why has the power not to <laughs> okay and go and goes ahead and creates a place that is entirely punitive and cruel mm-hmm. yeah well and let, it has all the power to make it not be i do want to say that most ways of thinking about justice include the concept of punishment mm-hmm. yeah and i think even when we look at our own, the way we think about justice, the way, the things that feel right to us, punishment can be part of that. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this, uh, I'm looking up this word, I think it's Gehenna, mm-hmm. and yes. it's this burning place, it's it's this place outside of Jerusalem where um, people would burn their trash, I believe. And Jesus references it. Jesus references it a lot, well, not a lot, but Jesus references it but in the modern translation, like the English translation for it, it's translated as hell. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I've always wondered if Jesus was referring to this actual place. And all of us have been like, burning place, hell mm-hmm. is where you go when you die. Yep. Like, I, like, I feel <laughs> yeah. like it's been taken out of context. I mean, that's definitely true. The fact, even our images of hell from the the chick tracks or the movie that mm-hmm. you were watching there is a long tradition or for example saint peter guarding the gates of heaven right those are all images that have been built over literally thousands of years of mm-hmm. christian iconography the concept of what happens after you die even in scripture itself especially in the old testament is very ambiguous mm-hmm. by the time you get to uh the first century in jesus he's talking about you know he's talking about hades he's talking about gehenna but it's not really clear, um, is he describing the geography of the afterlife? Mm-hmm. Is he, Or is he just referencing if, what's around him culturally and right, geographically? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then after, um, in, the, in the epistles and in the book of Revelation, there's some kind of some strange apocalyptic imagery about the lakes of fire and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. That would have made sense to the audience in that time period. Right. But of course... People after that, you know, in, in the Dark Ages, in the Middle Ages, and even up to now, mm-hmm. have taken these theological concepts and done different things with them. I think the purpose of having said all of that might be that the idea of hell is more flexible 
than most Christians think it is. Mm -hmm. But it feels like people have been really inflexible in the way that they view hell as a Christian because this this discussion kind of comes out of a question that I think I randomly either tweeted or like uh, text text Andrew of like, well, do Christians like jail in the same way that they like hell? Mm-hmm. And it, are they inflexible about the way they view hell because they're really committed to punitive justice, just like they're committed to puni- punitive justice in regards to prisons? Okay. I think so. What, what are you going to Are you going to say something? No, I was like, that's a... It's a huge question. What a heady question, yeah. right? Like, I mean, I, th- here's the thing. It's bizarre to me because so much of Christian thought is focused on the idea of redemption and grace. Mm-hmm. Right. So why is it that you can offer redemption and grace to a sinner, but when it comes to people who are imprisoned, you you can be 100% death penalty, 100% incarceration? It seems to me that the, the, the so-called Christian focus on compassion and grace, that there's a big disconnect between how they think about justice in the eternal sense and how they think about justice in the te- in the temporal sense. I, but, but there isn't really, is there? Because like, if we're talking about that disconnect, there's a disconnect in the justice system too. Well, let's think about it this way. Yeah. I, mean, I am making the assumption that you have to connect divine justice with earthly justice, that what you think is just in the forever sense should line up with, with the way you think about justice in the now sense. Yeah. And I think yeah. you're kind of make, you kind of made that assumption too when you said, do those line up for people? It seems like it does. Mm. So you you think that it, it does for most people. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I think most people really enjoy the idea of punishment because most people lean towards revenge. You know what I mean? Like whether it feels like immediate revenge I think that our culture really likes revenge. So I think prisons and hell give people that taste of revenge and that like really tangible sense of revenge Mm -hmm. that we want, that we really avoid naming because it doesn't sound very Christian. Unless you believe in hell. Another place where, like, you've been offered But nobody would say that that's revenge, though, right? Like, no Christian is going to say, yeah, that person should go to hell because that's some great revenge. Well, I don't think they would say that about prisons either. I think the overlap is that they would talk about it in terms of consequences to choices. Yes. Without acknowledging the systems that lead people to being imprisoned. Of course not. Um, Something that I was going to say earlier is that I think racism makes Christians go hard for the death penalty Mm -hmm. and um, prisons. But I think there's a disconnect from being able to actually name that, right? So I think if you asked 100 white Christians right now, picture a criminal, say no more than that, they would instantly picture a black person, right? Mm -hmm. So I think people feel really comfortable with prisons because it's a place to put these scary black criminals yeah, sure. And even what I was saying earlier about how um, Christian faith is so is is supposed to focus on compassion and grace and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time that compassion and grace extends so far as somebody who looks like you, yes, white people. Yes, mm-hmm. it's easy. It's easy to be compassionate and graceful towards somebody that looks like me. That's safe. That um, 
when I see them on TV, they look like my president or whomever else. I can totally relate to that person and extend compassion and grace to them. But like Mm -hmm. all these people that don't look like me, all these people that when I see them on the news, they're doing dangerous things and the Black Mm -hmm. Lives Matter and the why we can't all get along. Like this is stressful. Just put them in prison. I think what we're saying here is that there is – I'm trying to summarize where we came down. I think most people when they – hmm. We've said a lot, so it's hard to like summarize it. But I feel like what we're saying is there's more relationship between our concepts of hell and our concept of punitive justice on earth than I think people consciously realize. Right. Yeah. The construct for the construct for the justice system does have a lot to do with Christian dogma. Is that what you're thinking? I don't there's, even there's know. Some, there are some connections there. I feel like so many Christians approach the idea of hell divorced from the way they think about justice. Mm. I think a lot of times people approach the idea of hell. I don't think eternal conscious torment feels just to anybody if you really explore it. Right. I don't think you can ever... I don't know about that. Really? I don't know about that. I think eternal... I mean, I talked to my mom about it recently. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't really know if I believe in hell anymore. And she was like, well, what do you do with people like Hitler? I think, like, eternal torture, I think for some people that feels good. Like, that person did a really, really egregious thing, and eternal torture sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, most justice systems incorporate retribution in some way Mm -hmm. because most human societies have agreed retribution should be part of justice. Like, an eye for an eye is one of the oldest legal systems that exist. And in some sense, that concept has carried on to today, Mm -hmm. that once you have harmed somebody, you deserve harm, and society should be the one to deliver that harm to you. The idea of hell can even be useful for people who have been oppressed. Oh, yeah. I would like to live in a world where God's justice will one day punish people who have perpetrated injustice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really like the image of a pitchfork in Trump's ass. (laughs) Yeah. One of like let's say that Donald Trump, who's already like whatever seventy seven, he's he's in his seventies. He might die. Let's say, <laughs> let's say he dies. He dies comfortably in the White House, satisfied that his legacy is secure, surrounded by his many children and many wives. Right. That does not feel satisfying to me. It feels strange to me that a just God would allow him to never have to answer for the things he has done. And that's Mm. just one example. Okay. But I think you're speaking to that revenge part. Yeah, but is that so wrong? I don't know if I think it's wrong, Uh but I do kind of just want to name that, like, people like revenge. And I think especially us people of color like the idea of, like, vengeance, Mm. like this higher vengeance on oppressors. It's interesting that, Uh like, what... What the separation ends up being is who gets punished. That's a good point. Well, yeah. I I mean, that's definitely true. But that would be a failure of our justice system, not a failure of the impulse to deliver retribution itself. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree with you. Part of the thing that feels attractive to me about that revenge impulse, I mean, it does feel good to me. And I think that maybe it's because that can be part of justice. Do I think that human systems... That we can, that we are the best judges of 
who deserves retribution? Obviously not. History tells us no. And how to dole it out. And how mm-hmm. to, right. But I mean, all of us in our work, we are trying, to, we are fighting for justice mm-hmm. on earth. If punishment is part of justice, what is that? Is it wrong? Like, are you asking if that's wrong? No, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not wrong. I mean, do you think it's wrong? Do you think that punishment impulse is always wrong? I almost always think it's wrong. Yeah. I think, I think that we should s- replace punishment with restoration. Mm-hmm. Like the response to harm, it doesn't feel good harming somebody back to me. That response does not feel good. What I do want is to provide you with the tools to um, not do that thing anymore. But I don't really want to punish that person. Interesting. Like, I don't know if you're, we're going to put the backpack episode on. Uh, the podcast, but we'll reference it in case people do. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, when I got my backpack stolen, I didn't want to hit that guy. You know what I mean? Or like, Mm -hmm. I wanted to figure out what was happening for him, get my backpack back, but also like figure out what's happening for him so he doesn't like hurt somebody else. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. My impulse is to restore people, not to punish them. Well, that's interesting. Let's apply that to how the way you, you you said that you think about hell, though. If people become annihilated, they never have a chance to uh, get restored. Get restored, yeah. Oh, what a good point. Yeah, that is a good point. Because the way I end up a lot of times, and this is probably why I set up earlier that we can think about hell flexibly because I was defending myself ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The way I think about hell... Andrew is a lawyer. He's (laughs) He knows what he's doing here. Several steps, several steps ahead. Um, The way I think about hell is that I think, for me, it's hard for me to divorce the idea that sometimes uh, people should be punished or Mm. that they need to get through something in order to be restored, that they shouldn't just automatically be restored. Right. So that's cheap. Right. So for me, the idea of a hell feels a lot better if, if people have to answer for what they've done, but eventually they get restored to God or eventually they have the opportunity to be reconciled. So it's hard for me to believe in both eternal conscious torment, people just suffering forever who never who are punished but never have the chance to make it up. Right. And it's hard for me to believe in annihilation where, first of all, it seems like they got e- off easy because they don't have to exist. But also, they never. Ex- <laughs> that, that sounds I mean, sad. That sounds really sad. Like you don't feel like. <laughs> well, they don't. They don't have to exist in the knowledge. Yeah, they don't have. They don't have to ever have to own up to what they did. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Like that's that's part of not existing is you you don't actually ever get reconcile with the damage you did. Right. I just always thought that like my thinking with annihilation is the wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. But that's where I get that from, that like eternal separation from God is hell. But the whole restoration thing, now you're making me like double back. Yeah. And I mean, the tough thing is that we started off our conversation by talking about what did Jesus mean when he was talking about that? And what does the Bible say? So we're balancing different things here. We're thinking about what scripture tells us specifically. We're dealing with the traditions we've inherited from our faith tradition, like all this other stuff that's not in the Bible, but still influences the way we think about the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And we're also balancing what are our experiences of Mm -hmm. justice? What does that tell us about eternal justice and what feels right to us in our experience of justice? It's Mm -hmm. it's a juggling act dealing with all these different things. Mm -hmm. I tend to discount hell, but I do think of the eternal nature of heaven as being a place where you reconcile with your life and, oh, and, interesting. and, the, and the damage you've done. 
So are you saying that in your conception of justice in the afterlife, there is work that needs to be done? There's, there's a reconciling work that needs to be done, yeah. and hopefully everyone ends up reconciled. Yeah, like... You own slaves, you have to face them. So you're saying that when we think of the retribution of hell, maybe there's a little bit of retribution or like reconciliation rather in heaven. There's certainly discomfort, I think. Like when, like, oh, interesting. I've never thought of heaven being uncomfortable. Well, hmm. You know what? Um, what's that? What the great divorce? Well, and I like, and I do get a lot of my ideas from the great divorce. Uh-huh. But some of the ideas I'm having actually have to do with like work we were doing today, talking about white fragility. Like, mm-hmm. What's the great divorce? Yeah. So C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. Not Louis C.K. Not Louis C.K. Louis C.K. I often, <laughs> I often confuse the two. Um, so C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called The Great Divorce, where it's kind of a fiction book about the afterlife. And in that book, basically, there's a bus that goes every day from hell to heaven. Um, And you can get on that bus if you want. But the thing is, heaven is profoundly uncomfortable for people who are coming from hell because it's more real. So everything, like, hurts more. Everything's more solid. Like, you can't walk on the grass because it comes to a point and you aren't substantial enough to bend it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. But for some people, maybe they can put in the effort to, to be reconciled and make it further into he- heaven is like, it's it, is it like it's like a mountain that you're climbing it's a or something? Mountain. Yeah, it's like the further it's in like you get, the better paradise. it becomes. Okay. Um, and the question that C.S. Lewis leaves open at the end is like, maybe one day there will be a great divorce where there's no longer any way to get from hell to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but or maybe one day everyone will eventually make it to heaven because they're willing to put in the work. Yeah, I like I I do draw a lot of my influence from that from reading that story for sure so we've all kind we're all in slightly different places when it comes down to hell but can we all agree that at least part of what goes into our perspectives and also i think people who do believe in eternal conscious torment Mm -hmm. we're all agreeing that justice is a component of that Mm -hmm. yes and we're all agreeing that it's not like there's one justice for humans and there's another justice that god does that is somehow a different justice right i don't know maybe yeah uh-huh okay I, actually I, i'm gonna leave that possibility open on my yeah. yeah yeah i mean the reason i don't i'm not really into that idea is because it feels weird to me that god could have a completely different sense of justice than me right and that could feel unjust to me <laughs> <laughs> i want to be able why to... are you so uncomfortable with that because so much of what i do is in line with what i think justice is like all the work that I'm doing in my career and in the activist stuff is because I'm trying to achieve God's justice on earth. And if that just and if I am completely incapable of perceiving what that justice is, if I'm like I, there's no way I can ever understand the math of divine justice, like mm. it's so incomprehensible that then what's the what's the point? Or how can I ever what's the point of me doing anything? Mm-hmm. What's the point of me feeling like something is wrong? Yeah. I guess the comfort I feel in that um and that paradox uh-huh. is that the work that we're we're about to get into, I, I don't I look at that as more like an undoing of an earthly justice system than anything else. Like I actually feel very um God centered in that approach. Like I don't know exactly what the answer is for our justice system, but I think that we were doing it is is pretty terrible and, and could use some untying. Yeah, but how can you trust that if you don't even know what justice is? I don't think I'm saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think I have 
I, I think it's very possible, especially in like the three directions we're coming from hell, like that God is doing something eternally different that we have a glimpse of. Yeah, that's what it feels like okay. to me, too. Like yeah. what I'm doing is a glimpse of God's justice, right. but there may be so much. There's so much more that God can yeah. do. Okay. I mean, I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah. I think I definitely agree that. So I wouldn't say they're entirely different. Yeah. Yeah. We think that God's justice, I'm probably going to cut this out, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to introduce this so late in the game. I think one of the reasons people are okay with eternal conscious torment and they're okay with like having faith in a system of laws that just is so clearly racist is because they put their blind faith in the idea that um, that God's justice is so different from us. God is so beyond us that... There's no way we can understand. Okay. Him. So the only thing we can do is put faith, put our faith into the rules that we got. Mm. Like the rule is believe in Jesus or you go to hell. That's the rule. You follow that or you go to hell. Right. That, what doesn't make sense? Too bad. That's God's justice. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't question God's justice. Okay. Right. Oh, uh, and then there, there are all the rules. God has given the government, God has given, in, enacted an order on earth and you f- follow the rules or you go to jail, maybe get the death uh-huh. penalty. That's what the law says. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to you. What do you, what do you know? You don't know justice. Mm. God's yeah. justice is beyond you. Like, mm. who are you to challenge that justice? Okay. So somebody could really take what we're saying and run with it. The opposite right. direction is kind of what you're yeah. feeling. I, that is, that's so, that's very valid. So if you can't, I mean, I, I, you know, if you can't trust that you have a sense of what justice and injustice, then all you have is faith in the rules. Yes. And then... That just, I think you end up in bad places with that. Yeah, yeah. that's a really good point. I do. I totally agree. Yeah, I feel much more freed. So when I think of us not being able to fully understand God, I feel freedom from these systems, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, these systems are flawed because we don't understand God. And we're trying to like enact godliness by creating these systems, but mm-hmm. we get it wrong. Right. Like mm-hmm. I feel more freed by that, but I feel like I hear you saying people could be more enshrined in these systems because yeah. of not being able to understand right. God. Like, there's no way there's there's no way we could ever understand. So there's no impetus to enact any changes. Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. question it. I think one of the things that like really pushes me in the direction of our justice work is the fact that I do understand God's love. Like, I feel very loved by God at this point in my life um, and, like, seen by God. And I want other people to experience Mm. that love and that, like, being known um, that I experience from God uh, exhibited by me. Like, Mm. I want to be um, a co-conspirator with God in that. So, like, a lot of my work leans towards practically loving people, like, oppressive systems and systems of racism and white supremacy have um, created the cash bell system that often penalizes mm-hmm. poor black and brown folks. So my way of loving poor black and brown folks is working for the Philadelphia Community Bell Fund. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I feel like whiteness and white supremacy has really dominated the Western Christian culture Um, And there's almost a push to view Jesus as like this white Republican from Texas. And that doesn't feel very loving for like people Mm -hmm. of color. So my way of combating that is like organizing with our church's team, circle mobilizing because Black Lives Matter and like 
doing real work to tear down white supremacy within the church and, yeah. with, and from within our theology. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my justice work kind of leans away from trying to understand God's justice and really leans into the fact that I very much so understand and feel God's love. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with what you're saying. I think the only nuance I would add to that is that I don't think we need to draw distinctions between God's love and his justice, mm. you know? I think his, his love is just and his justice is love. Mm. When we are loving people, we are enacting the justice of God. Yeah, yeah that's I, such a good point. Yeah, and I think, I mean, when I'm doing in my work as a disability advocate, when people are going through the worst time in their lives and they're fighting for this benefit that is only going to slightly improve it. Mm-hmm. The fact that I think they, those people deserve help is both just and also loving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. things aren't different. Yeah. No. Before we continue, because I think we're leaving a big question out there if we, if we don't answer this, um, is what we are talking about explicitly, the justice work we're doing. Yeah. Like the three of us. Yes. Yeah, tell or, them about or it. even individually. Um, what we do together is called participatory defense. Um, participatory defense is this model... Would you call it community organizing? I would call it community enacted justice. Yeah, let's call it that. Community yeah. enacted justice. We work with people with open criminal cases around a table to think about how they can work as agents in their own case alongside mm-hmm. with their lawyers um, to improve their outcomes. Um it's like community-assisted criminal yeah. defense. So participatory defense functions as a means of bringing community members in to mm-hmm. support a community member. Right. And it's an opportunity for people to realize that they're way more empowered than the court system often um, emphasizes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. Great. Um so what we like to do at the end of the podcast is talk about whatever we're into this week. Um, Bethany, do you want to kick us off? I can't think of anything right now. Can uh-huh. you, one of you guys kick it off? Yeah. Chris? All right. What I'm into is, again, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> <laughs> um, he wrote another great article for The Hollywood Reporter where he directly responded to the guy that was kicked off of SNL for saying... Racial slurs against Asian people. Um, Shane Gillis, I think is his name, mm-hmm. comedian from, shamefully enough, Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. what? Uh, was recorded on his pot, was, uh, uh, was admitted onto SNL as one of the new cast members. And then uh, word came out from his podcast, not even that long ago, from September of 2018, so literally a year ago, where he's talking shit about. Philly Chinatown and Chinese people. <laughs> so uh, it got eventually. It's became, only from a year ago. Yeah. It's, oh, so yeah. He's like, like a, really racist. Uh, yeah. So that whole thing happened. But specifically, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar writing an amazing article laying out why, like, like he, he lays out like these three criteria about how we judge, like whether oh. we sh- how we should judge somebody in their racist actions. And he's like, by all of my three criteria, this guy deserves not to be on SNL. And um, so Kareem Abdul-Jabbar displaying incredible, just laying everything out in a super rational way, standing up for other POC, being his ridiculous, amazing self. Mm -hmm. I try not to stand for people who are, like, still alive in case they disappoint me. (laughs) But 
recently I am just that's such a good threshold yeah. like you have to be dead for me to stand for you yeah. oh wow but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar I am oh, I'm 100% on board so that's what I'm into wow that's great thank you I oh that's amazing <laughs> So I just, I said that I couldn't think of anything earlier and I just thought of two things that I'm into. I'm really into Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion this week. Uh, They are female rappers that I really enjoy and I feel like they're taking like female sexual empowerment and like uh, being sex positive to a different level. Like growing up, the only female rapper that I had that was like explicitly sex posy was Trina. And I feel like anybody that's like my age that was listening to hip hop from like 2002 to 2008 will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all love Trina, but she was all we really had for Mm -hmm. um, a black woman that was sex posy. But I'm so proud of like Cardi B and like Megan Thee Stallion and like all these city girls, all of these female rappers that are like killing the game right now. Super sex posy. It's really explicit. I don't. I probably shouldn't be talking about this on our Christian po- podcast, but explicit I. Oh uh, yeah, um, but I really enjoy their music, and I really enjoy the fact that they were probably like young girls that were like eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Hmm. That are eighteen, nineteen, or twenty, like I was, and I really didn't have anybody that was speaking like that. Um, I'm happy for them that they have those rappers out there. Um, and also Cardi B is great to work out to. Um, she really gets you hyped on the treadmill. And then a podcast that I really enjoy called Still Processing mm. just came back. Oh, yeah, okay, great. They went on hiatus for a couple of months and they just uh, they just came back, I think, last week. So I really enjoy that podcast and I think you all should check it out too. What are you into, Chris? The three of us are part of Circle Mobilizing because Black Lives Matter. Um, a team with um, with a lot of different ideas, and one of those has uh, come out of this book that we've read together called uh, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. Um, and we we had a forum and a discussion today um, led by Andrew and Bethany and some other people on our team, specifically for our predominantly white church and its white members to talk about white fragility. And we did that today, and it was hard, and um, took a lot of pushes from the people of color in the room and specifically Bethany to like get us to actually just say we're white. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. So. All right. Uh, a special thanks to our technical director, Joe Mahoney, and also to Luke Bartolomeo, our communications manager. Our theme song is by Jared Selby. Stay black, little mermaid. <laughs>